0: So we have a special guest today. I'm gonna go ahead and 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 kick it off this way. Rich Silva, Montgomery Advertiser, a young gun on the beat. Uh he has a very unique story with Auburn because um I, I don't think anyone has ever had the introduction to Auburn quite like you, Rich. And if you don't know, Rich uh does a great job covering uh Auburn at the Montgomery Advertiser. He is the successor to a uh, friend of the program and a uh, multi-time defending champion on the podcast, Bennett Durando. We love Rich. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the stuff Rich has written about and some, some cool stuff heading into uh, football season and basketball season later. But, Rich, for those who may not know you, can you tell the folks at home what happened on your very first day of covering Auburn Athletics full-time?
1: Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me. Um, but yeah, so October 31st, it was on Halloween, my day, whatever, like my first shift started at, at 9am that day, I'm doing a bunch of onboarding stuff and like meetings and whatnot. And then at like 1130, I get an email from athletics cause I got put on the the email list. It's like, there has been a change in football leadership. And I was like, does that mean what I think it means? And I called my boss that had only been my boss for two hours at that point. And I'm like, I think Auburn just fired Brian Harson, but I don't know for sure. And he was like, just forward to me the email. And so I forwarded him the email. Thankfully, Bennett Durando had some pre-written stuff, like you mentioned. Um, so they were able to get that up. And then that happened. And then Cadillac was named the interim a little bit after that. And then John Cohen was named the AD, I think, that night officially. So that was just, that was a whirlwind of a day. And then it culminated in the Mississippi State game that week. I remember, I think you put up a tweet um, when they were going to overtime me and you were sitting next to each other and you were like, I'm sitting next to the new kid. He's had a week like, and now he has to deal with this. Like, please say a prayer for it or something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because we say it all the time. And those of us, I mean, all of us on this call besides you are very, very familiar with Auburn spent, you know, large stretches of our lives. If not most of our lives dealing with Auburn athletics, you're brand new. You go in the first week and, and fellas painter, Dan, I, I can't think of a more Auburn way to get things going than it like it, it was I, I think if you would have started like say, say a new beat writer comes in like this past month for Auburn and it's calm and it's breezy mm-hmm. and there's a there's some recruiting stuff and there's some, oh general, hey, let's get ready for year one of like, but that would not be representative of what the Auburn experience is like.
2: I could I could have this wrong. I think there was someone whose first month on the beat was Jetgate which I feel like, oh, would have been, wow, which would have been a fun way to sort of, you know, and, and Rich, Rich brings up an interesting point. And I, d- I don't know the answer to this question, Justin. Did you have anything pre-written the way like a newspaper will have an an old celebrity's obituary yeah. ready, ready to go? <laughs> Did you have anything pre-written nope. about the previous coaching staff possibly or the, the previous coach uh, being being terminated in in case um, auburn in case auburn did it after you know the 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 Georgia game or the LSU game or the Ole Miss game or the Arkansas game
0: so i i mean as as you know and anybody who listens to this knows we're different we we run a newsletter that run, comes out weekday mornings like we don't do as much of like breaking news and stuff like that but I had something kind of like, hey, when this goes down, here are the reasons why it why this failed so badly. And then I think the abruptness of it caused me to, like, I had to either, like, shelve that idea or, like, I did not have it quite as prepared as, as other folks have had it. Um, and so I, I need to go back to, like, what I wrote from that because it was John such Cullen, a whirlwind.
2: John Cohen was in his office for about 15 minutes, right, when he made that <laughs> made that call. To, to make that that change in leadership and send that press release out. So, yeah, I think we were all caught off guard by, I think, between the and I don't I don't remember the 15 minutes is a joke, but I, I don't remember exactly how much time between John Cohen taking office and that release going out. But it wasn't it wasn't very much time
1: at all. If I'm not I, mistaken, I think Harson was first and like President yeah. Roberts was. Oh, like that's he, correct. Yeah,
2: that yeah. That's right. That's right about the time. Yeah. So it's it, I mean, but yeah. it was. I, I pulled it I pulled it up the other.
0: I pulled it up. I wrote it it was one after the other and i and I wrote something about both moves kind of combined into one and it was a general like, hey, they're cleaning the house here. <laughs> like this is like this is a this is a sweep. um, and so yeah, that wild one of the wildest days ever and and that again, and then they go into the Mississippi state game, and I think we're all just looking around thinking like, okay, well, maybe. It's a competitive game, but like, man, this team has been such a mess. And then it, and then they look like they're about to get blown out completely. And then they fight back, and they cut, kind of, and it's just this crazy game, emotional game. I mean, the the post game scene there, um, the post game press conference. I mean, for that to be your first post game press conference, and it's just Cadillac talking like. Like, absolutely just emptying his soul out after yeah. after the week that he had had. I was like, how do I write about this? <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. it's like, I remember writing afterwards, you know, kind of the game story, the observations from the game. And it was just like, I don't know if I've ever, I, I don't know if I'll ever write anything like that ever again. And, and just the, 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 cra- and again, I covered the 2013 season and like, you know, some, some of the wild, 2017, some, some really wild stuff. Um, but yeah, so Rich, you have you went through the absolute hellfire of what Auburn can be in the first week, um, and then now you've you've gotten to the point now where I mean you're you're a veteran at this point, <laughs> you know you, you're you're you know. It's a, how does it feel, kind of having an off season, and then you're going to get to go into a season where it's a brand new coach, it's like it's a clean slate, which I think is good for you because it's like, you know, it's a clean plate for all of us. And so, I mean, how, how is that? Like everything that happened within really the first like month and a half of your, of your time here to now looking back on it, just like how, how crazy has that been?
1: Yeah, no, it's been, very crazy and there's a tweet i think uh justin lee from the opelika auburn news has and he retweets it every so often that auburn has never played a normal game in any sport ever and they never will and there was multiple times during basketball season or football that i wanted to throw a retweet on that but to answer your question yeah no i'm excited to i mean what to cover what we hope is a normal football season i mean anything can happen obviously but i i'm excited i'm excited you know like you said new coaching staff new quarterback new well new transfer quarterback. We'll see what ends up happening at there. Um, a lot of new everywhere. I mean, what, like 42, I think, is the number 42 newcomers. At yeah, this more point.
0: than half of the scholarship guys on the roster are newcomers. Is something something Dan and I talked about recently.
1: Right, yeah. So, yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very curious how how it's going to work. Obviously, we saw LSU do the, you know, first-year head coach last year and take, take a bunch of players on the portal, and they did what they did. So, I'm interested, I mean – I mean, those are lofty expectations, but I'm interested if Auburn can can try to do something like that, but we'll see. And speaking of transfer quarterbacks, that's going to be the
0: main topic of conversation today. So Painter, let's hit the intro music. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the early week edition, the Monday morning edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Dan Peck, also checking in from Auburn, Alabama. How are we, Dan? I'm
2: doing all right. Happy 4th of July to uh, to, to everybody. Happy, healthy, and safe 4th of July. I think we talked about this on the drive, Justin, Mm -hmm. uh, that I always heard growing up that ER visits skyrocket during the 4th of July. I don't know if that's just... Trying to scare kids into not playing with fireworks or if that's like a real, a real thing. It's plausible sounding. I mean, the
0: last time I ever had to go to urgent care was on the 4th of July. So, yeah,
3: yeah. The combination of my 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 foot
0: open on something
3: of uh, (laughs) fireworks and alcohol seems logically like it could lead to extra trips to uh, to the doctor.
0: And, of course, that voice you're hearing is on the ones and twos. Painter Sharpless, no longer in Parts Unknown, folks. Folks,
2: This is huge.
0: This is huge. Painter has moved from Parts Unknown to an undisclosed location. Painter checking in for the first time from that undisclosed location. How are we doing, Painter?
3: It's warm, folks. We are. <laughs> we are learning to deal with it once more.
0: It, he's, is he's back he's back in he's back in the heat wave baby is, that humidity is like hitting you like a hitting you like a brick <laughs> as soon as you step outside is the
2: location going to stay uh undisclosed for, yes uh, for for uh
0: for the foreseeable future and no longer yes. unknown okay it's no longer parts unknown it's undisclosed now what's the difference nothing functionally but <laughs> it, it'll be more fun this way to c- well, call it something else well,
2: we didn't know but to pull back the curtain a little bit we he has changed locations. He has we're changed not, locations and it is you.
0: warmer. It is warmer where he is now than he was before.
3: How before, about that before not, jumping on here, I got out of a pool, and I was like, that was somewhat refreshing.
2: So just, to, <laughs> just to just to make sure we're not going to tell you where the old location was we're not going to tell you the new location but there some has of you
0: been... some of you figured it out some of you know how to use the internet but there has the been
3: laziest shit.
0: effort uh
3: involved <laughs> at, at whatever it is this is but yes this you can like probably a... figure it out most of you probably
0: have and, like
1: uh
0: Agatha Christie mystery this this uh painter sharp's pa... location painter going back to the pool real quick yeah because I mean this is something a lot of folks are going to be doing uh around this time I am I, I'm not going to the pool. I'm going to the beach at the end of the week, which I'm I'm looking forward to. But weather is supposed to be terrible, which is just my luck. Uh, You were talking about, like, you come out of the pool when it's this hot and you're just like, that was somewhat refreshing. It seems to me like if if there was a way to get, like, the first two minutes of jumping into a pool and, like mm. like, keeping that long term, that's the way to go. Otherwise, like, yeah, I feel like a lot of times whenever I go to a pool... You get in, and then about five minutes into it, you're like, "Okay, this feels like a really bad bath." So I'm gonna I'm gonna hop out of here real quick. And that's just it's not as fun. It's not as you know, especially if you're making a day of it. Now, if you have your own pool, uh, and, and Bill
3: Cameron, you know what time it is.
0: Yeah, Bill, Bill Cameron, Bill Cameron making making the splash.
2: Bill Cameron, you know. the, the microphone shaped pool at at Cameron Estates. <laughs> I
3: I actually I so it, 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 it dawned on me a few years ago bill would talk about the pool and i'll be like yeah i mean that makes sense like it's probably nice to have one obviously and then like the idea of it basically becoming an extension of your lawn Mm -hmm, where you take pride in it and it becomes this thing that you sort of cherish even when you're not using it um i don't know it made me like it that was like this thing about bill that i actually found to be very adorable
0: and of course as we mentioned in the opening rich silva's here rich you're an interesting cat because you grew up in new york you're from new york uh but you went to school in a very warm place a very hot very humid place you went to south florida um tampa a a tampa guy what what's what are the what is the fourth weekend like for you most because you've you've split time you've you've been you've been where it's Where you know, like it's not blazing hot all the time, and and you've also been in spots where you're melting, uh, most of the year. So what was what's the fourth? What what are we doing outdoors? What's the what's the vibe like this time this time of year?
1: Yeah, it's oh, you know, it's it's interesting. I have like this weird, like undying loyalty to New York. I hate the snow. I hate the cold weather. I hate that four months out of the year it's like under 35 degrees. Like I, i I don't I don't enjoy that. But like I said, some weird undying loyalty. But then I go to Florida and I really enjoy that. But man, it's been hot here the, yeah. c- these past couple of days. I went to the my where I live. The uh, The apartment complex has a pool and I went out there and I've always been. This is bad, but I've been like, I have no reason to believe this, but like anti sunblock. I'm like, I don't need it. And like <laughs> and then I I mean, I ended up needing it like my shoulders right now. My nose, my ears, they're peeling yeah. real bad. Um, yeah. so it's been, it's been very hot.
0: Yeah, I mean, people who have ever seen a picture of me or ever seen me before, you can tell th- that you know I'm, I'm very pale. Uh, I am one of those people that I get the most, like the strongest sunscreen possible because if I'm outside for any extended period of time without it, it hurts and I'm going to be really bad off. But That's what you get when you're, you know, the color of like a styrofoam cup, which is what which is what I am. Um, but yes, wear sunscreen, Dan. This is what we're talking about: being safe in the holidays. We you, know, you can talk about. Um, driving, whether it's a boat or a, or a car, any sort of vehicle, we can talk about fireworks and how dangerous they are. Hey, another way to stay safe: make sure make sure you're protecting yourself from the sun, folks.
2: Yeah, no. As, as someone who grew up on the Florida Panhandle, and it was you know the, the sun, the unforgiving nature of the sun was just sort of always like around. But it's uh, the older you get, the the more the more important you realize, like, yeah, you really like n- now now. I'm right there with you five minutes and I, I, it's, it's not unlike when you uh, put a marshmallow into fire. (laughs) Like I would say that's sort of the, the effect that the sun now has. You start bubbling, you get sticky. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) graham crackers come in and no, so i um. so, so yeah, I would, I would encourage folks. Yeah. That's, that's another, that's solid advice. And, and I've heard there's like, I don't want to start a thing here. I've heard there's like an anti-sunscreen, Sort of thing Movement. on, on oh, social dear. media. And oh dear, I, I just rich. Rich's issue. I'm, is I'm this you? pro. I am pro. Uh, you know, I, I can't vouch for everything they put into sunscreen. I'm not like that well versed in the science, but in general, I think it's probably
1: a pretty good idea. So the light, the, is is... the light is healing. The light is healing. So uh, I'm actually a moderator on that subreddit. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, there uh, is a
3: part of me that. Uh, idealizes the sort of leathery tanned 64 year old who's still in that's these-
0: gonna be you <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah I'd, that, love, I'd love
3: to be in a position in which that's true
0: yeah uh speaking of uh, speaking of growing up a panel dan go, going to dustin this week I'm, I'm looking forward to it I'm, I'm i'm fired up i got the i got the official dan Pack recommendations list it's been a minute since i've been down there i used to go there all the time when i lived close there but i'm I'm ready to rock. We're not here to talk about the fourth the whole time though although I hope by the time you're listening to this we'll put this out on Monday morning. hope you're having a wonderful holiday weekend extended weekend and whatnot be safe and all that good stuff. but we're here to talk a little Auburn obviously with bringing Rich on Rich. you wrote a story this past week and if I can if I can bat bat lead off here real quick a quick little intro with rich um I really really enjoy the kind of stories that Rich com- comes up with. If you go to the Montgomery Advertiser, I'm telling you, go to the Montgomery Advertiser website, click on sports, click on Auburn, and just scroll down and see just it, it's not just it's not just the headlines of what just happened. It's a lot of forward, you know, looking forward stuff, a lot of analysis, a lot of good stuff. So I really really enjoy what Rich brings to the table on the beat, and he wrote a story last week that really caught my eye and I wanted to have him on to talk about it because Rich, you talk to a, a a folk hero in the college football. Game. I don't know you're you're younger, Rich. You're 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 not too far out of college. I don't know that you know how big of a deal Dr. Bo Wallace is on the college football internet. Uh, Dr. Bo was that those old Miss teams at the beginning. It was just the chaotic quarterback. Uh, our friend celebrity hot tub Ryan Nanny uh, coined him Dr. Bo on the uh, on the internet. It was. It was an incredible. It was an incredible time. But you talked to Bo Wallace about what it takes to be a transfer quarterback for Hugh Freeze. I want everybody to encourage everybody. To check it out. Read the story at the advertiser. Get a subscription. Um, they're not they're not expensive. I, I just looked at the deals. You can you can afford it if you're listening to this and you pay for us. You definitely can afford uh, an advertiser subscription and support Rich and the good work they do over there. But Rich, tell us about what you learned from talking to Dr. Bo Wallace about. Playing for Hugh Freeze because this is a really interesting spot that Auburn's in this year because once again it's the beginning of a um it's the beginning of an era for Hugh Freeze and he went out and got a quarterback out of the out of the portal in the transfer market and and he's wanting to turn him loose here um I, I think in in the fall so what did you learn
1: from Bo we'll go from there yeah like you said I mean a little bit younger and also I grew up in the Northeast where college sports just isn't that big as big of a deal as pro sports are so yeah I wasn't I mean obviously I knew who Bo Wallace was I know what he did but I didn't know how big of a deal he was to people like you described but yeah it was great talking to him he was he was super cool super open to to talking I think I messaged him and within the hour like he messaged me back super cool guy talked a bunch um, I think probably the most telling or the most valuable information that he gave me was kind of how there's two different Hughes, Hugh freezes that is Mm. Um, during the season where there's practice, Hugh, especially early in the week where he said he's really on you. I think I I had the quote in there. He said like some days he felt like Hugh just woke up and was like, I'm going to make sure that this kid thinks he can do nothing right today. Basically. (laughs) Um, And like, I'm going to, I'm going to crush him. I'm going to put a lot of pressure on him. And then he said, but as that led up to Saturday and game day, it waned. And then he said on game day, like different person, he he called them like your biggest fan or your best friend or something like that, because um, he said you know the goal during practice is to to put you in those high stress situations obviously so when you get to the game, you know that, that's not it's not a new concept uh, you're prepared for it, but in the game he's trying to to keep you out of that high stress environment as best he can. He, I think uh, a couple Bo said multiple times like you know trying to lower your heart rate or keep your heart rate low. Um, so I I thought that was pretty interesting what he said. And then the second biggest thing that stuck out to me was he spoke about the offense, uh, Hughes offense. And I think a lot of times, like, I mean, I, Justin, obviously I've read a lot of your stuff, so you're, I think you're a good sort resource for this, but as for me, I'm a bit younger and, you know, maybe the general fan and some other reporters, we hear like RPO offense or up-tempo offense and we're like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. But like, what exactly does that mean? Like, what are the exact benefits of that? Mm-hmm. And Bo kind of explained to me that, you know, no, ma- as long as you understood what the defense was trying to do, there was always an answer that the offense could be, whether it was a little check down or throw it here or the RPO you handed off here. There was always an answer. As long as you knew what the defense wanted to do. And Bo said, as he kind of grew, I mean, obviously three year starter, as he grew, In that offense, he he got really good at it. So, Bo Wallace
0: is a really interesting character in the Hugh Freeze kind of story. Freeze gets a job in 2012 at Ole Miss, and Bo was this guy they picked up out of junior college. And we were down in Mobile for Senior Bowl uh, back earlier this year. Back in back in January, late January, and I heard we were just talking to 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 you, and I heard you say that he, I mean, he called Bo Wallace his most report, important recruit he ever had at at Ole Miss, and it, it set the tone that first season at Ole Miss. Um, Bo Wallace throws for nearly three thousand yards, threw a bunch of picks, but um you know 8 yards an attempt and then over the next two years he was a 3000 yard passer had 40 touchdowns still kind of interception uh prone to interceptions from time to time but get, gets that big uh game they they have that that huge win against Alabama in 2014 uh and the the run that they had that year in 2014 and i say all that to say auburn is in a similar spot here where you had a quarterback you inherited in Robbie Ashford. And you, of course, have others, um, you know, uh, th- th- that you brought back. Um, but, you know, no T.J. Finley uh, anymore. You've got some freshmen coming in. But it does really seem like it was shaping up to be Robbie and the field. And then after spring practices, they go out and get Peyton Thorne and bring him in. And I guess, do you get the sense that, you know, Hughes trying to kind of do what he did at Ole Miss again at Auburn and, and saying, like, hey, we needed to have a quarterback. Nothing against Robbie Ashford, but you're getting a guy in Peyton Thorne that, you know, went to the New Year six, uh, went, went to a New Year six game, um, won double digit games his first season. He started for two years in the toughest division, not named the SEC West. Do you kind of get the sense that, you know, he's trying to run the same playbook here with different players, different situations for sure. But I mean, he talked about how important getting Bo Wallace was to kind of restart in Auburn. You kind of get the sense rich that like, it feels like they want to kind of do the same thing again with Peyton Thorne.
1: Yeah, no, I think so. And, you know, obviously we don't know exactly who's going to be the starter yet or how the time will be split up or maybe, you know, early in the season against UMass or something, multiple quarterbacks get, get a shot. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree. With, with what you're saying. I think what's really big with Hugh, and I mean, he said it a bunch before they got Peyton Thorne, when whatever, he gets the job in November and, and we talked to him sporadically throughout the offseason. Before they got Peyton, he consistently said when TJ was still there, Robbie and Holden, you know, the room's got to grow up. He said that like, I think like five times throughout the offseason that they've got to grow up. And when, I, when I'm talking to Bo, he actually, Bo said that, you know, he remembers his freshman season, Hugh telling him you got to grow up like that type of thing. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there is a little bit of that where, you know, he wants to get that new transfer in. And I think he definitely has like a type and he likes, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like strong leaders at quarterback. And I mean, obviously I've never been around Robbie in practice or in a game. I don't know what kind of leader Robbie is, but I did a story on Peyton when he first got here and I spoke to his, uh, his high school coach and his personal trainer since he was 16. I think Peyton's like, 21, 22 or something now. So for the ha- past handful of years. And they were telling me stories of like the leader that Peyton is. And, you know, I think, I think uh his trainer told me that, you know, you usually expect the type of intensity that Peyton brings from like a linebacker. Like he used Ray Lewis as an example. And he said, Payton acts like that. And like he <laughs> he has that type of intensity. And again, I don't know. I've never seen Peyton that practice. I've never seen him in a game. But you know, hearing that I think lines up with things that he wants and you know, and also obviously on the field, he checks some boxes that Hugh likes as well.
2: And Bo Wallace is somebody who has won a quarterback competition for Hugh freeze before uh, in your conversations with him. Did he go into the qualities that could eventually decide who wins this job? What Hugh freeze is looking for uh, in, in a, in a quarterback who's going to emerge from a competition uh, to eventually be a starter.
1: Yeah. I wanted to get into more with him. Like, The on the field things like what exactly did you do well on the field that he liked? And obviously, you know, there was a little bit of a mix of with him, he could use his legs a little bit and also throw the ball. I think early, earlier this offseason, uh, Hugh was talking about Bo and he said Bo was the worst practice quarterback he's ever seen. I, I think he mentioned that and then he got him on the field and he was good. Um, but Bo, when I asked him that question, Bo really turned it back to again the off the field stuff. He says it's the intangibles with Hugh, like that's what he really, really wants and is into. And, you know, while that while and he said that Hugh can do a lot of he could tailor his offense to the different styles of quarterback. And obviously, you saw that with Willis at Liberty. You saw I mean, with um, Chad Kelly threw the ball a ton at Ole Miss and then Bo Wallace is a little bit in the middle. So I think, like I said, sounds cliche, but it's really important to Hugh that off the field stuff. And, you know, obviously, you got to check some on field boxes, but he can he can help. He could tailor his offense to whoever he's got. The interesting
0: thing with Bo and Peyton, I think, is that that comparison is just that leadership angle that you keep t- hearing about. And it's hard. It's hard for a guy to come in, and in the case of uh, the case of Peyton Thorne, what's going to be interesting to see with him in fall camp. Is like he had to come in in the summer and have to like learn how to learn his teammates, learn you know what's it going to take to be that kind of leader for a bunch of guys that have never played with him before, and and, and just get that rolling. Uh, and then in in the fall, show enough. Um, although the other quarterbacks are playing with a head start, so to speak, in the offense, in the you know in the in the scheme and everything, the way that that Freeze likes to run things, and Philip Montgomery as well. The fact that he's going to have to kind of do that quickly, I'm not saying it's going to prevent him from being the starter, and I think he's the favorite to be the starter uh, for a reason. But like, I, I think I think that element of it we haven't talked about <clears throat> excuse me I, I don't think we've talked about it quite as much because um, you know I, I think uh, you either go back and forth whether you're a you're a guy that thinks oh it's still going to be Robbie or it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to be Peyton uh, quarterback I, I don't think we've talked about it enough that like yeah this dude's going to have to win over his teammates and show that he can be a leader if like you were saying he was looking for those intangibles you got to
1: do that in a short amount of time if you're a time if you're like a guy like Peyton Thorn. Definitely, yeah. Um, it. I mean, what he got here? What were we, in July, May? I think maybe he uh he he committed. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, he's only been here two months, and obviously have the the summer workouts. And I think there was some some reports maybe from the two four seven guys like um like Jason Caldwell and uh, Christian Clemente that that Peyton had been organizing some summer workouts with the receivers and stuff and. You know that's all great, and that that that's all things that he he has to do, like you said, if he's gonna if he's gonna win over his teammates and and then worry about on the field things.
2: Was Bo competing with guys who had been in the locker room a lot longer than him when he first arrived? Because that sometimes that can be an added wrinkle in a quarterback battle is that you have a newly arrived quarterback competing against someone that the locker room has known. For a while, you know, in the case of Robbie Ashford, although Robbie's only in his second year, but he went through last season with everybody who's still on the roster, and, and that can cause tension potentially uh, with 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 a quarterback battle. I wonder if there was any of that with the uh, with with what went uh, with what Bo Wallace went through.
0: So I, I looked that up. It's a great question, Dan. Um, Jeremiah Masoli was uh, was the quarterback after Jevons. Sne- so Jevons Snead in 09, Jeremiah Masoli in '2010 for Ole Miss, '2011. Uh, you got, you have Randall Mackey uh, end up getting the majority of the work at quarterback for Ole Miss that year. Barry Brunetti also on that. Those two guys competed and played quarterback behind Bo Wallace in 2012. So it was multiple guys who had at least been on the field and done some things for Ole Miss that Bo had to come in and, and, and win that job for. Yeah, not to sidebar
2: the uh, conversation about the uh, how Bo Wallace won his teammates over and and how that could potentially apply to, to Peyton Thorne, the Jeremiah Masoli transfer from Oregon. That was the first time a lot of people had ever heard about the graduate transfer rule that allowed someone uh, to spend their fifth year somewhere else. As long as it you know, and get immediate eligibility, he was it's one like, of the first.
0: Yeah, it's high like profile. him and, and
2: Russell Wilson were around that same time. There, there, there was a defensive back for Urban Meyer's national champion Gators that switched over, did the same thing. I think he went from Utah and and was immediately eligible. And people were like, "How could this be?" And it's oh, people, well, he's getting a graduate degree, but it was still pretty obscure when when Masoli yeah. uh, utilized it there in uh, in, in twenty ten.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny to think about that because now it's like. So many guys go into the portal um, each year, and and multiple we've seen multiple guys make multiple moves at this point. But yeah, it's, it's funny funny to think about like a decade, a little over a decade ago. I mean, the sport was completely different in that regard. Like if you were at a you were to school, you kind of stay there the whole time. And, and and I think you were more if you got a transfer, if you got an impact transfer back then, you were more likely to get a guy from junior college. You think about Cam Newton, started at Florida, ends up going to junior college, and then goes to, to uh, Nick Marshall, same way, Georgia, junior college, Auburn. Nowadays, it's just a quick boom. You can jump over to the point where like you'll get junior college guys, but, man, junior college recruiting is nowhere near what it used to be.
2: Or high-profile quarterbacks would sit out a year because they wanted to transfer schools so badly, the late Ryan Mallett an example of mm-hmm. that the news you know just in the last week or so but he was a michigan quarterback who didn't agree with the coaching change he'd be immediately eligible under the new rules for yeah. a variety of reasons but he left michigan because he did he wasn't a good fit for rich rodriguez's offense goes to arkansas to play for petrino has to sit out a year uh because he, he you know you didn't get immediate eligibility back in those days but but that was more common than uh uh yeah than than the graduate transfer rule being utilized that was a pretty obscure thing up until about a decade
0: ago I uh, not to get too far off track but like I know we've talked about this in the past painter about cam it's like can you imagine if cam instead of having to go to junior college in no like he he just goes straight from Florida to Auburn and you know like he, he there's two years of cam there's no telling what the kind of numbers he had to put up you know over those two over those two seasons
3: although it's still amazing that he played at Blynn
0: yeah no it's and they and Blynn college gets to brag about that forever like they get to
3: yeah I don't, i'm not saying it's better but it's nice for Blynn certainly <laughs> and like for cam it's probably better if he where did bo time. where did
0: bo wallace play was he a mississippi
1: kid uh in in college so junior college he, i should say junior college he played at uh east mississippi community college okay so he yeah uh
0: east mississippi uh famous for of course uh the uh the last chance you era of of uh, east mississippi john franklin the third uh east mississippi product uh quite quite a number of those um jack ellie also played it texas mississippi.
2: texas kansas or mississippi would have been pretty good guesses yeah. where, where where bo wallace played junior college ball just based on where i think the vast majority of junior college especially to the sec it yeah. just feels feels like you're, you're probably coming from a school in, in one of those uh three states and uh and yeah so so anyway so yeah the, the thought of uh what uh what, what bull Wall if he if he had to do anything to win over his teammates or or I guess what Peyton Thorn may have to do uh to uh, to,
0: to win over yeah. his teammates. Did he talk the, did he yeah. talk anything about that like the the off the field stuff you
1: got to do to be a transfer quarterback? Uh a little bit. It was mostly him just saying and like you know I I asked him a little bit about specifics and he didn't get into it it much. But he just said like you know it's it's a time thing like he he said he like the whole growing up thing he said it did take him a little bit to grow up he was like you know after that first season he was like okay like i feel all right like you know it was a decent season like ferg said a few too many interceptions but um but he said you know he really grew up in the program and he said you know by the time that he was starting that second year as a starter and the third year obviously he said that he was you know he, he was in it at that point he was confident he had the off the field things figured out that he wants
0: and now you've got a situation with Peyton Thorne that he could use another year of eligibility if he wanted to now I think the best case scenario for Auburn is that he plays so well in 2023 that he is thinking about a professional career right after that would be a really good sign for Auburn but the fact that he has multiple years of eligibility remaining I think was another reason why you know he could end up being just a one-year rental but you know compared to some of these other quarterbacks that made moves in the in the transfer portal this offseason at least with Peyton Thorne i think he brings you a little bit of added value in the fact that hey he could be here for a couple of years and be that bridge to the next guy whether it's a Walker White whether it's uh you know it, it's a if they feel really good about a guy like Hank Brown if it's old Garrett's turn or if if you know another transfer could be in the down the line for Auburn at a quarterback
2: and I wouldn't rule out the possibility that Robbie Ashford sticks around and sure. competes yeah. competes for the job in in 24 as well if he's not the starter this year. What like 10 months out? And this is a question for for Rich and for you, Justin. What what is the draft buzz on Peyton Thorne as as far as I mean? Is it is it felt? I mean, is it seen like he's? a likely entry into the, into the 24 draft. Yeah, it, it's, does it hinge heavily on what kind of season he has?
0: I think it hinges heavily on what kind of season he has. Um, I, I think he's a guy like traits wise. He doesn't have this cannon arm. He doesn't have, you know, a ton of speed and agility. Although as I wrote last week, he's a better runner. and People will give him credit for. Um, But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if he has a good year, it's, can he be like a, probably a day three pick, where you know he can help fill out a roster um and again those guys now in the nil era could be ben- could benefit more from coming back and, and playing another year so he'll be a fascinating uh piece because i think you know good size and, and like when he's on his game if he puts up numbers like he did in his first season at michigan state i mean those are those are really really like you know top 10 15 20 quarterbacks in the country kind of kind of stuff which will always get you on the nfl radar
1: yeah, I think like Ferg said that it hinges a lot on this season, just because, yeah, like the, he doesn't have like the prototypical like rocket arm or moves really well or anything like that. I mean, I think he was like a three-star quarterback coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was actually committed to Western Michigan before Michigan State came in late and offered him, in, and and then he he decommitted and flipped there. But yeah, he didn't get a lot of attention because he didn't have like those those traits that you see from guys like I don't know, like. Anthony Richardson this year obviously had probably the best example of that, of just being an absolute like freak, basically.
0: Uh, I guess the last question here about Peyton Thorne and the quarterback situation for Auburn is, from your perspective, we've talked a lot about about the, this quarterback battle, and we'll continue to talk about this quarterback battle throughout the rest of the offseason and in, into the season. But from your perspective, how do you think this thing is going to go uh, with Peyton Thorne, Robbie Ashford, what Auburn's trying to do in, in, in year one? You mentioned earlier... The potential of them playing multiple guys early in the season, and I think, you know, I, I think that's a possibility that um, people need to continue to keep in mind. Like if they had a guy that they feel, hey, you're going to get all of, all the snaps in the first few weeks of the season, I think that's a great sign. But like Fries has talked about it, he's done it in the past. Uh, he did it with uh, he did it when it was Chad Kelly uh, who was competing for a starting job. Like, well, how, how do you see this playing
1: out? Yeah, so I think in the end, if I had to bet money on on one guy winning the job it'd be Peyton. um i don't think hugh is gonna budge on announcing a guy until like right before game week that umass week um i do think there's definitely a world where multiple guys play this was before they got payton but at the huntsville ambush hugh said somebody i was i think it might have been me but somebody asked him about the quarterbacks and he not got not got mad that's the wrong word but he like he was like, listen, like I think he got tired of people asking about the quarterbacks. He was like, listen, I like our quarterbacks, all right? Like, I want to get that out there. I like them. Um, but he said, you know, maybe I will play multiple to start the season. I'm not sure. Um, so I, I think there is definitely a world where, especially against UMass, where I mean you should trounce you, UMass if you're Auburn, that you know, you see both of those guys being Robbie and uh and Peyton get time. And I I am interested though, like if Peyton gets the full-time job by the time we get to obviously there's cal but by the time we get to conference play against Texas A&M if it is just Payton will there be any packages for Robbie cuz usually I'm against that I'm like if you have your guy just roll with him but maybe cuz my head was spinning during that first month I didn't really appreciate Robbie's athleticism but I've gone ba- gone back gone back and uh watched Robbie and man like he's he's unreal like he's a a top five rushing quarterback
0: in in the country there's a story i'm writing this week at the observer that you can check out but like auburn's explosive play rate last year for a team that struggled so much wasn't bad but it's almost exclusively due to the running game because you had robbie ashford and tank bigsby and jarquez hunter and like even behind a not great offensive line and even with really no consistent passing game that combination just was so so good at making things happen on the ground. and if they can find a way to keep using that and 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 still be able to lean on it, even if Robbie's not the guy who can throw the ball consistently enough to be a starting quarterback for this team, I still think you got to find a way to get it on the field and 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 if just find just find a way to do it. you know i I wonder if the the downside
2: to looking at both quarterbacks for an extended period of time is explored enough because I do think there's value, especially if it's Peyton Thorne long-term or Peyton Thorne for most of the season, there's value in getting him as many reps in game as you can. And if you, you know, especially early in the UMass game, I I would wonder if you harm whichever quarterback you're eventually going to go with. If you're, if you're taking an extended look at both of them in the UMass game rather than giving whichever quarterback it's going to be a lot of time against sort of a live opponent before the show goes on the road in week two to Cal. I wouldn't be surprised if the quarterback battle is mostly settled before they play the UMass game and they use the UMass game as a dress rehearsal for mm-hmm. that for that yeah. road for that road game in week two.
0: I think if you go back to the Chad Kelly, Devontae Kincaid and I'm blanking on the uh, the other... Ryan Buchanan, I think, was the other one at Ole Miss that year. If you go back and look at that, they kind of had even reps or sort of even reps in that opener. And then the next week, it was mostly Chad Kelly. And then they... Li- I mean, the first two opponents, like, that year, Ole Miss scored, like, a combined, like, 130 points. Um, and so that by week three, you know, when when Ole Miss had that week three game against, uh, I guess, Alabama uh, with, with Chad Kelly... Uh, They were ready to roll, and they ended up winning on the road, beating Alabama back to back years. Yeah, Uh, first two games of the year that year, Chad Kelly um, and and the Ole Miss offense they scored seventy six on Tennessee Martin, and then seventy three against Fresno State, so one hundred forty nine combined points, and then they beat Alabama on the road. So it didn't hurt them that much that time. But like you were saying, Dan, like dress rehearsal week one, week two, you know what you got, and like I think in Fresno State because it was such a blowout, they did use the other quarterbacks as well. But they basically knew it was Chad Kelly's show uh, in week two, and then in week three against Alabama, he throws for 341 yards and three touchdowns, and and wins in Bryant Denny. So, like, that's at least a timeline and a scenario that has worked for Ole Miss and and them in the past. Where where does where does
2: Holden fit into this too? I mean, well, Rich, were you about to answer? Were you about to chime in on that? I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but but that was that was the other thing I was wondering about. Is you know, we 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 break this down as Peyton versus Peyton versus Robbie. Right. And it was, you know, there there were times when it felt like Holden was in the conversation with with Robbie this spring. So it's it's almost like is
1: how 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 quickly are they going to be able to narrow this down to even two? Yeah, I think to what I was going to say right before, I think the fact that Cal is week two. And I mean, I think if you're Auburn, you should have Auburn should have the expectation that you're going to beat Cal, but they're not like a pushover like UMass should be. So it's right. Right. So I think, like you said, Dan, there is something to be said about picking your guy and going with your guy because, you know, don't lose the cow. Like that—that'd be really bad for for the new staff if, if you lose the cow. But anyway, um, sorry, slipped my brain. Your second part of what you're saying,
0: yeah, about holding. Like, you oh, know, Holden, I, yes. I think yeah, because there was a, t- a stretch here in the spring where he was getting first team reps. Now that kind of yeah. faded a little bit towards towards the end. I think the thing here, and this might just be a little too simplistic for uh, of a way to 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 say it, but I, I think it's the thing where it's like Peyton Thorn. Is an older experienced version of what you could get out of Holden. Whereas Robbie, and I don't want to just break it down to Robbie's the dual threat. Robbie's the but like, yeah, he does bring something different. It's a different dimension. What we have seen from Holden, what little we have seen from Holden is very similar to what you would theoretically get from uh, Robbie, uh, from uh, Peyton Thorne. You know, pocket passer, stretch the field, good command of the offense, probably plays better with a good running game next to him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the other thing. Like, if Holden comes in, I wouldn't completely count. It. If Holden comes in has a really good start to fall camp, sure, he could be in it. And, like, he's a guy that I think you could find ways to get him on the field against UMass. Um, And, and maybe maybe get, but, like, I think it's a, I think it's the scenario where, like, he doesn't give you enough of a difference from what you'd have with Peyton Thorne. It's just kind of a younger version of him. Maybe too simplistic, but that's just kind of the read I have on it. Yeah, yeah.
2: I was going to say, it seems like at the moment, best case scenario for Holden would be if Peyton Thorne were to win the job. Can Holden beat Robbie in a competition to be the backup? Depending on what Hugh Freeze right. is looking for, and I think a, that would depend in a, in a
0: backup quarterback. And I think that would also depend on what Hugh and the and, and Philip Montgomery would want to do with Robbie Ashford. Say Robbie Ashford is not going to be your starting quarterback, but it's like, hey man, we got to find a ways to get him on the field. And I'm not saying position change. But if it's more of package, certain like where it's, you know, hey, we need you to focus in on being the guy to run it here. You know, maybe that opens the door a little bit for
1: a guy like Holden to be more of your traditional backup quarterback. It'd be interesting, too. So assuming Payton wins the job and like we established that Bo talked about that, you know, Hugh can can tinker with his offense and, you know, align it with his quarterback's talents. Let's say Payton wins the job and. I don't know, in the third quarter of whatever game he goes down with some sort of injury. I'm curious, would they maybe move to Holden to finish that game because he lines up more with what Peyton does versus maybe after that he would have a whole week to to build the offense around what Robbie does? It's just an idea.
2: Where is uh, where's Philip Montgomery uh, factor into all this? Does, does he have uh d- does he have sort of classic tendencies With regards to picking a quarterback in an open competition, are there things that he seems to prioritize? Because, you know, there's so much talk, understandably so, Mm -hmm. about Hugh Freeze and Hugh Freeze's role with the quarterbacks and the offense. But Philip Montgomery is, you know, it's not weekend at Bernie's where they've got, you know, just an empty suit there. As the offensive coordinator, uh, Philip Montgomery is a guy with a very real track record of his own. And I have to feel like he's got an outside, an outsized, uh, role in, in choosing who this quarterback's going to be.
0: So, Philip Montgomery, when he got to Tulsa, he inherited Dane Evans, who had been starting there for several years, um, at a at, at quarterback at Tulsa and put up some really good numbers there. Uh, that the year after that, um, he had. Uh, a couple of guys in Luke Skipper and, um, let's see this was Luke Skipper and Chad President that were the quarterbacks that year. they were injuries and kind of back and forth. Um, Seth Boomer ends up being the being a guy for him. He lands on Zach Smith in 2019, a transfer that he that uh, he had been familiar with from his time at Baylor. Um so that there was transfers there that he leaned on and then Davis Bren was his quarterback the last couple of years that's another guy they developed. So it's a mix. It really is a mix. I think he you know, he didn't have a ton of experience with transfers at Tulsa but when he did, he you know, he 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 went with that guy even though he had some experience coming back. So I think it's kind of similar to to Hughes background, um but it's different because obviously like the type of quarterbacks and the type of players you get at Tulsa are very different than the ones you get at Auburn and like what's at your, what's at your disposal. Good quarterback conversation, fellas. All right, we'll talk some basketball here with rich uh, before we go, before we do that, let's take care of some business. Hi, if you like this show and you would like more of it, uh, you can subscribe to the Auburn observer. You get all of the newsletters and all of the podcasts, which is twice as much of this podcast, uh, the weekly one with myself, painter, and Dan, Dan, We'll record our next one on uh Wednesday night. That'll go out on Thursday this week. We'll have newsletters on Tuesday and Wednesday and the mailbag on Friday. Send in your mailbag questions early this week. Uh, the earlier, the better for, for me. You also get every episode of friends of the program, um, that, that, that comes through in any bonus podcast. We do Dan keeps motioning for his podcast. It's never going to happen. Um, so I'm just going to keep talking and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer, auburnobserver.com. There are links in the description. Go to our website. It's the easiest thing to do. We email everything to you, $6 a month or $60 a year. Got some fun stuff in the works as well. Uh, it's a good time to sign up before we go to SEC Media Days and fall camp gets rolling. Painter, well, how else can the folks at home help us out? Well, obviously you support
3: enemies of the program, but after Come you in. do that, you rate, review, and subscribe.
0: Give us five stars, uh, write a nice review on uh, on on Apple Podcast, uh, and that helps us out a ton. I think we might be going back to doing some giveaways or something with with the reviews here in the near future, so to keep your ears out for that. Um, five stars on Spotify also helps us out a ton. Finally, our friends at Homefield Apparel, folks, I'm wearing a Homefield shirt right now. I'm wearing Homefield all the time. In fact, I think when I go to the beach this week, I'm going to pack nothing but Homefield. That's an easy way to get ready for a, for a vacation. I'll tell you that much. Hallfield Apparel, the number one place to buy collegiate apparel. Uh, we're talking the coolest logos and the coolest um, designs that you're going to get on the most comfortable t shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, quarter zips, long sleeves, joggers, what have you. Some really cool Auburn stuff uh, in there. Uh, they just had, uh, they're in the middle of refresh season. So if there's another school that you love, uh, or just think their stuff is cool besides Auburn, you can go get that uh, at home field apparel. Uh, I'm looking right here. Uh, Rich, your alma mater USF has uh, has a decent amount of home field on there. Uh, it's got, got some, got some classic designs, including a sailing t-shirt, which is pretty sick now that I'm looking at it. Uh, and uh, of course y- you can get the official Auburn observer t-shirt. The only place to get it is at homefieldapparel.com. Just search Auburn observer in the little search tab. And you will be on your way to get your Auburn Observer Home Field T shirt. 15% off if you use the promo code Observer at checkout. That is homefieldapparel.com. Rich, do you root
2: for USF athletics? Do you find yourself loyal to like are you a are you a diehard bull? Are you a uh, uh are you someone who's uh are, are you are you do you do you yearn for the Sundome down in uh, a Hater of Taco Fall? Yeah, what's uh What's what's up with that? You got a Matt Grothy jersey hanging <laughs> hanging in the
1: hanging in the closet. So I do uh, I do find myself rooting for USF a lot, but I mean with football there hasn't been much, I mean I think they've won one FBS game in three years, so it's like gosh like. And what's funny is during a lot a I- lot of that was Brian Batie's
2: fault though, and you got rid of him. Yes, so yeah, I think it- you guys will be oh, much no. better now. <laughs> oh no, no. Dan Bri-
1: Bri- Brian Batie was about the only. I'm not the only good player, but one of the only bright spots on on that team on those teams. Um, it was funny, too. with one of the so I covered the first couple of years of Jeff Scott's time there. And obviously he's not there anymore. It's goalish. But I never covered an FBS win. the one that they got was against Temple. And it was my dad's birthday. And I had flown back home for that weekend. And I watched them run for like 455 yards on TV program record. It was it was it was incredible. But then that was it.
2: I was at Jordan Hare stadium that night in 2007 when, uh, when USF came to Auburn and won in overtime yep. uh, early in the, uh, early in this like Tuberville's second to last season. I think it was Brandon Cox's senior year. Uh I, the, I for some reason I remember that it was USF's quarterback. It, I think it was Matt Grothy. It was, I, think it was, Matt Grothy. I, I think it was his 21st birthday. It was, uh, I remember that, that came, that came up during the coverage, but yeah, USF, uh, hung with Auburn the whole game and then, and then, and then beat them in uh beat them in overtime.
0: Underrated part about that game. And I, and I am looking at the box score now and I remember it. Do you remember that South Florida's kicker missed four field goals and they still won Delbert Alvarado? I remember that name because I remember it was like, they would send him out and everybody was like, Oh yeah, maybe, maybe we can stay in the game. And uh, yeah, two of six on field goals. My man had a, uh, My man had him a uh, had a rough game and yet still uh, was able to uh, get the um, get the get the victory. Uh, What did
2: what did did Brandon finish with that day?
0: Ooh, 16 of 35 for 165 yards, a touchdown to two picks. So that's a I want to say
2: this. The next week was the week that Tuberville went with Cody after Brandon started slow against Mississippi State and uh, that was that game and the '06 Georgia game were the were the times when I could really feel like you could sense in Jordan Hare Stadium that, uh, that there was there was a segment of the fan base maybe turning against Brandon a little bit and that that game it was it was uh, it was tough to deny at least that night even though Brandon went on to have you know more more great moments in an Auburn uniform but that was that was a tough night.
0: Now that we've talked about great moments in South Florida football history. Uh, let's move on to some basketball. When I was saying earlier, I really enjoy Rich's stuff because um, of the ideas he comes up with, some of the some of the angles he writes. He wrote something a couple days ago that uh, I think any Auburn fan needs to uh, kind of remind themselves of if they haven't gotten it already. Headline, why Auburn basketball freshman Aiden Holloway fits well with Bruce Pearl. And uh, we want to talk about Aiden because, Panter, we've talked about this. I think, Dan, we've talked about this a, a little bit as well. It's so funny that Aiden Holloway is the second highest rated freshman Auburn has ever signed. And yet it kind of feels like he's been undervalued a little bit, not talked about quite as much in the year, just because it has been so long since he signed with Auburn. And on top of that, there was a whole lot of roster movement since his his decision. But what did you find, Rich, in the numbers uh with Aiden and uh why you're you're kind of high on him heading into uh the the uh, 2023 2024 season.
1: Yeah. So, first of all, and I mean, not to put like a level of pressure on a guy that hasn't played in a college basketball game yet, I think like the ceiling of the season hinges on him. Like, if he comes in and he's, I mean, what, what like he's, I think he's capable of, gosh, they get like they could be really good, I think. Um, but in terms of some of the numbers that I saw, I'm just pulling up the story again to make sure I get it right. So, I think. In pearls, what nine years at this point, and I forget the exact number of point guards because I know um, obviously there were some repeats in there, but I think so for each season, every one of his point guards has been six one or shorter, and in seven of those nine seasons, that point guard averaged at least a, a double digits, eleven point four, and the only exceptions were Casey Ross Miller, which and that was in year one. So what? Sure. And the other one was Zep Jasper, and obviously Zepp is much more known for his defensive capabilities. And the season that he was the starting point guard, obviously two years ago, he's playing next to Jabari Smith Jr. and and Walker Kessler along and with everybody else.
0: And Wendell, even though he wasn't the starter, Wendell ended up playing more minutes than him and was kind of the the closing point guard for for a lot of those lineups.
1: Right, exactly. So you know you see, and I mean when when um when Aiden signed, Bruce said it in a in a statement that was sent out. You know, Auburn's become a place where fast, quick, creative guards have flourished. Aiden's a special winner. He has high basketball IQ, and he goes on to to complement Aiden. But yeah, he's he's absolutely right that I mean, in the nine years that that Bruce has been here, it's always been a short, crafty little point guard. And I know when I first got here, I was talking to you about that, Justin, of like, like I was like, why, like why why is he so obsessed with these with these this archetype of player? And you you know you were kind of describing to me like. It's an under-recruited um, type of player, a mold of player. And, you know, mm-hmm. he feels like he can get his the way he coaches can get the best out of that player. And if they're going to be under-recruited, then he's going to get any one of those small guards that he wants.
2: I wonder if a bigger, more physical point guard would struggle to play 30 minutes at Bruce's tempo on both ends of the floor, too, where maybe being a smaller, undersized athlete can actually benefit you if, if you crank up the speed enough compared to what some other and there are great athletes who, who are who are bigger point guards too but when when Bruce Pearl, I mean he's the engineer of this thing and if he knows you know what kind of point guard that se- seems to benefit him I, I would uh I would believe there's probably some
0: logic and some science behind it uh, on the court too I also think the other thing that when it comes to point guards and small point guards especially these days, last few years this this revolution we've seen in basketball at all levels of guys shooting from deeper and deeper out uh, and usually it's the smaller guys who do that like hey if I can shoot from further back you know that's going to bring less of the defense on me and so if I'm a smaller guy and I can shoot from further back you know I don't I don't have to worry about having somebody in my grill at all times usually bigger guys guard me and so we obviously saw that with Jared. I don't know if you guys saw the video of him coming back to campus uh here this this past week and he's just hitting shots from, from all over the floor. He's still got it. Aiden's got a good bit of that to his game as well. You watch his high school film, uh AAU film as well. Duke dude has a green light from any everywhere. Um, I think that's a, a spot where, again, that fits with the Bruce Pearl system, right? Threes, freeze, and and layups. That's that's what you want. So a guy who can take it from you know, shoot it from deeper. You know, you'll be fine with that if he's a little on the smaller end because I think everybody saw with Jared. Didn't matter how tall he was, he was still a very effective player because he could score and distribute and play that style better than anyone. With Aiden, it, it's so crazy and 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 again, I keep pointing back to this, and I and I don't want to put like you were saying, Rich, you don't want to put too much pressure on a guy who had not played a college game yet, but keep in mind. Keep in mind this. He's the number 2 recruit Auburn has ever signed out of high school. Number 1 was Jabari Smith, National Freshman of the Year, obviously, you know, lottery pick, one of the best to ever lace him up at Auburn. Number 3 was Sharif Cooper, who in a short amount of time put up some of the craziest numbers we've seen from a point guard at Auburn. And, and and across a full season, we're talking about a guy who would have been freshman, you know, potential SEC Freshman of the Year, just a, an elite elite player. That seems to bode pretty well. I mean, we can talk about like, oh well, you know, last season, Yoan Treor did didn't really click as a as that five star guy that they brought in, and and stuff like that. But like, Aiden just was at a different Aiden's just at a different level. He's in that elite elite zone uh, as as a point guard, and it looks pretty. Uh, look, it looks like he has the potential to be pretty special in that in that first season.
1: And I'm curious too how um how Bruce is gonna handle playing him and Trey. What are those minutes gonna look like? And do we see because I think during like one or maybe two games, Bruce last year put Wendell and Trey on the floor together. And it was only I think it was a total of like 14 minutes throughout the whole year or something like that. I'm curious if we see any of that with Aiden and Trey together and like what the benefits of that could be, how well Aiden can play off ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. We talked about it not too long ago and I ran the numbers. Auburn's offensive rating when Wendell and Trey were on the floor together was it just through the roof. Like it was insane defensively. You gave up a lot because you didn't have Zep or KD, and it was just smaller, you know, less experienced backcourt at, at that point to play defense. But man, offensively, I mean, that, that crew could, cause I mean, how many times do we hear Auburn fans online and elsewhere? Uh, Painter. I know we, we, we talked about this a bit like, it's like, oh man, that, that that trait, the two is just that's a lot of fun if they could if they could lean into it. And it was, but it it does every decision like that usually comes at a cost. And and in this case, it was it was on the defensive end. So it's probably not something you want to do a ton, maybe long term. Maybe I want to build the whole thing around it, but it might be something you can do in spurts. Go back to a couple of years ago, Dan, uh when uh when Auburn ran that three guard lineup towards the end of the season with Jabari and Walk and um and Walker up front and how effective that was.
2: You know, I, I... Wonder again, if if there are any concerns, I mean, with with a player like Aiden Holloway, a five star guard that aside from Jabari, that the top high school player Auburn's ever signed. Are there any concerns about how his game translates to the SEC level immediately? I guess I'd be a little worried about his size, uh, you know, holding up defensively because he's I believe he's smaller than Jared was when, when Jared came to campus. Uh, officially, I think they're maybe they're right around the same uh, height and weight, but that's you know that that would be something I think if he's going to be a starting point guard for a team l- looking to win a lot immediately, you wonder about that. And then I guess the other one would be like, is if if he's a liability defensively, does the offense will he be able to do enough offensively to justify minutes with other options there at point guard? But but yeah, just sort of I mean, what, what do you, what do you know about? the the other less talked about parts of Aiden's game outside of uh his, his ability to shoot and and what he can do as point guard with the ball
1: i th- i mean i think and you know the finding like clips and and, and tape of him is is difficult at times but i think in what i have seen of him i think what sticks out to me is like his like craftiness i guess for lack of a better term that he's like i mean not he's not like whatever like Kyrie Irving like a wizard with the basketball but he's you know, like I said, real crafty, he, he knows how to get to his spots. And even in the McDonald's all American game, you saw it. And obviously I don't think guys are going 110% in the McDonald's all American game all the time, but at, at times this year, it felt like they were And I, like, he scored his first points on, on Bronny, Bronny James, and that the move that he put on him was sick. And then, you know, obviously he, he hits a three from, from way out, I think to end the half. So I think he's, he's really skilled, obviously offensively, and like you said, the size the size is my only concern on the other end. I think so. He's listed on Auburn's website at 6'1", 165. Jared, and obviously this would be as on his way out, he was listed 5'11", 175. So he's got 10 pounds on Aiden and two inches shorter if you think Auburn's numbers are, are completely accurate. So yeah, I think I think that is a concern. And I'm curious how that's going to work because I remember when Jani and Dylan, especially towards the early part of last year, I mean, they were each. They were. Blo- I felt like they were blocking everything in the in the early parts of the non conference, and we would ask Bruce about it, and he's like, "Yeah, it's because our guards and will let them go right to the paint, and Dylan and, and Janai have to clean it up." So I'm curious if we're going to see more of that, or maybe they're going to be forced to lean into that to really hope Janai and Dylan could just be be the rim protectors that they are. It'll be it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, I think, I think
0: the just the the shooting prowess that he brings to the table. I mean, when you look at. The numbers he did in in high school, he had in high school and in AAU. Just and there are times when he gets hot. He just, I mean, the 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 basket must look like it's twenty feet wide to him the way he can shoot the ball. And it's just, it's that improvement. I think if if he can be an improvement from what Auburn had at Wendell Green Junior. these last couple of years in terms of uh, efficiency from deep, while also being able to create and do a lot of different things. He's not, you know, stylistically he's not Sharif Cooper. Um, he, he's not that kind of point guard, but I think if he can do enough of that and, and, and also just be the offensive catalyst when he's on the floor, there's a lot to like about his game. And, and I'll, I'll continue to believe that the longer you spend time in a Bruce Pearl on a Bruce Pearl team, the better you usually get on defense. Like he, he does a good job of of developing those guards to the fact where I thought, Towards the end of his time at Auburn, I thought Wendell was a very underrated defender for what he for what he did. And 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 Aiden defense is not going to be like defense is not going to be what he's known for early on. Very few for freshmen. I mean, you have to be like Isaac Okoro uh, to be a guy known for his defense as a freshman. But um, you do you do love the potential and the makeup there of that guy. And again, it's just so funny to think about how he hasn't been talked about a ton. And and I think it's just. The way recruiting is in basketball, and the way the transfer portal is, it's old news that he's at Auburn. But now you got to look at it and bring it in. It's like, oh yeah, remember he's 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 one of the best players in the country coming out of high school, and Auburn gets it. Like, you know, he would have been a few years ago. He would have been the best player Auburn's had, and probably would ever think to have. But obviously, that has changed Dun- in the Pearl uh, administration. Dan, you were saying something.
2: Well, and, and there's, you know, I, I think uh, Rich mentioned uh, Trey Donaldson earlier too as somebody who. I think there was, even if Aiden weren't coming in, I think there was going to be some excitement about what Trey could do at point guard. So it creates this interesting dynamic. And I forget who was the first one to point out. This is probably the first off season of Trey Donaldson's life that he wasn't also focusing on football. Yep. And and to think, I mean, that, that I've, I've heard stories for athletes that that yeah. frees you up to really sharpen. some I was go you- back.
0: To, I always go back to Seth Williams the second year. How about Noah Benogany's second year when and then when he focused just solely on playing corner? I mean, that's that's an easy buy, you know. Uh it, yeah, you know, it's an easy stock to buy, in, in my opinion.
1: And I think Trey's obviously his three-point numbers were inflated because of the I think what did he go like six for seven in the in the tournament or something mm-hmm. like that? He in the first game, he didn't miss against uh Iowa, I felt like. But I think if he becomes I don't think trey's known for his shooting but if he becomes where he is a respectable shooter i don't know shooting i don't know 34 percent or something like that or or even better i think that does leave the door open a little bit more for those two guard lineups um and obviously it would get him on the floor more
0: all right folks i think that's gonna do it here um rich appreciate you joining us on your maiden voyage on on the podcast i hope you uh I Hope you had a good time. I really enjoyed the the insight you brought to the table. We'll definitely have you on uh, in the near future. You're now you're now in, in in the in the crew. You'll you will now be a part of the the recurring guest category. I think I, I think we can guys we can give give Rich a thumbs up. How we how we feeling about his how we feeling about his uh, debut? Thumbs yeah. up on all around. Guns up from Dan. Yeah, guns up for Rich. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I uh, what, what was that, Dan? Oh, I was gonna say meant, meant to
2: mention this when we were talking about Philip Montgomery, but uh it does uh you know he also does look a lot like professional wrestler Billy Gunn right I yes. think we've I think we've discussed this before on the uh, on the show. if you understand that reference is a uh, is is delightful if not, you can use Google Image or whatever and figure out what he I'm just talking needs about.
0: blonde hair he just needs please blonde hair and he's, he's, ready yeah, he's,
2: he's right there somebody who's who's been been on national television for three decades now on on different different wrestling shows
0: rich uh we talked about it earlier you're at the montgomery advertiser but uh if people want to read and check out more of what you've got going on tell them uh tell them how they can do it
1: yeah so like justin said you know uh montgomery just go over to the uh the sports tab and then auburn and you'll find all my stories there and on twitter i'm at rich underscore silva 18 and for all social medias that that you want to follow me at
0: yeah um twitter is dying kind of it's back up today uh it's been a rough weekend um dan is there truth to is there truth to the rumor that you got twitter shut down so people wouldn't vote uh against you in the in in the draft
2: (laughs) yeah no you know what i uh i've heard that there are some election integrity issues at twitter (laughs) and that may have played a role in my team like i think we got single digit a single digit percent in the it, lost, i think the final one a, i think the final row i think we lost a ross perot in the uh in, in the polling it, i think that's the how final
0: count the final count was 72 percent to 28 percent.
2: yeah i was i was winning in like the first hour you know yeah when, when i voted and and I'll, I'll admit i i couldn't even bring myself to vote for me i, I you know here, here's the thing <laughs> um i think if i'd if i was trying to win the poll like if, if i had gone in you could have been strategy, more ruthless yeah, well, not just that. I think that Jarquez and Javarius are sort of outsized. I mean, not, not just in terms of what they've proven relative to everybody else at the position, but they're standing among fans like th- those are two guys that if if the goal had been uh, d- uh, j- just I'm going to assemble the team that I think wins the poll, I think I would have focused more heavily on those two guys. Uh, but I tr- I stand by the, uh, the the team I built. We'll see on the field. And and see and see what happens. All right. It's uh, uh, but I but I do think it was it was cool to see. And thanks for the folks who voted for me. All right. I, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, uh I guess I, I think heard, you had a I good. T- t- I, t- 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 I think it
0: was very even. I think the I think the poll results were not indicative of the quality of teams. I think it should have been a lot closer to fifty. I I, I think I should have won, but I think but I but I think it should have been closer.
2: Yeah, and I don't I don't think that necessarily. Like I'm sure some folks even if it was a close decision for you, they still voted for, you know what I mean? They voted for you and it shows up in the poll. I, I know what you're saying uh, that it's uh, uh yeah, no, I, I, it was, it was a lot of fun. Can't wait, can't wait for the next draft. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, going to fire some folks here in the front office and we'll, and we'll see you next year.
0: So, like I said, uh, everybody uh, have, have a safe and, and, and happy 4th of July uh, here. We're putting this out on Monday. Uh, so to tomorrow, look for a newsletter, Wednesday, look for another newsletter. Thursday, another podcast, uh, with the fellows it will be the premium one. Uh not sure what we're gonna talk about yet, but we'll come up with uh we'll come up with something. Uh, but uh we'll have we'll have the premium pod on Thursday this week, mailbag on Friday. Like I said, uh send in your mailbag questions uh as early as you can because it just helps me out a lot, a lot more, especially on a week where I'm gonna be on the road a little bit. Um yeah, that'll do it uh for me painter final thoughts
3: rich
1: what is the movie of the year mm. Mm. i uh, honestly I, i'm just gonna give my honest answer i don't watch a lot of movies i feel like it i can't it? i can't i can't even give you a fake answer respect because the other day for
3: got mad because i was like i'm re-watching sopranos <laughs> So Dan, Dan, what's the movie of the
2: year? What's movies. the movie of the year so far? All right, so I I think the only thing I've seen in theaters this year is John Wick Four. So one. so at the at the moment, John Wick Four would be the movie of the year. I I intend to see No Hard Feelings before mm-hmm. it leaves theaters because I wanna I wanna support the cause, and I'll see Oppenheimer. Um, yeah. and I've and I've seen the last couple of Mission Impossible's in theaters too. So there's there's a few. I would say this this month. Between Mission Impossible, Barbie, and Oppenheimer, I'd say there are a few reasons to go to the movies and uh, and, and check out some interesting looking stuff. And you know, if, if that's if none of those are for you, or if one of those isn't for you, like I get it. But a couple couple uh, interesting seeming uh, potential blockbusters on the horizon. Dan, are you boycotting the Barbie movie? No, I'm in. I I like Greta Gerwig. I, I think she makes. Uh, I enjoyed Lady Bird immensely. I think that's uh you know one of, one of the better movies about uh, you know like a teen coming of age film uh-huh. you know, ma- made in the in the last few decades and uh, you know and and even uh look little women it's been it's been adapted a ton of times but I I think I think she's she's an exciting filmmaker and you can dial me you can, you can count me in plus you know I love the nice guys right Gosling's
0: in a comedy I got a Gosling in a comedy has a lot of potential I
2: gotta turn out for Gosling in a comedy.